Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. And that's this episode, I have one of my best friends, TJ Guccini, on... We've been hunting together for the last eight years or so in Colorado, and he, uh, his family kind of treated me as family for sure, and brought him, my, my wife and I, under their wings, and so that's been a really good friendship to have. And even though we're multiple states away now, uh, we still connect all the time and have many hunting trips planned in the future. So in this episode, we're talking about trail cameras and a little bit of the uh, just a viewpoint from a couple of hunters looking at an issue that has popped up and we don't have all the details. We just have some of our own thoughts and a little bit of research to see kind of what, where this comes from. So just a couple of hunters chatting. Thanks for sticking with us and appreciate and appreciate you all. As always, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, reach out. I love hearing the stories, love seeing the pictures that you guys send in to me. Uh, that's appreciated that helped you in some way or at least i'm entertaining you in some way so thanks all right tj so i have not had you on this podcast i told you i wanted to have you as my first guest and that, <laughs> that uh it is now episode 69 this episode so wow. <laughs> um we uh we've been talking you, you've kind of been following along with what i've been doing and i kind of always update you with everything uh one of my best friends and realtor uh buddy i met in colorado hunting buddy um family friend no nope. family nope. really is kind of where you stand and where i would put it yeah yeah and so i wanted to talk real estate real quick what's going on in the real estate business well, it's crazy right now. I mean, it, it seems that everywhere you go, there's a shortage of inventory. So the real estate market is just absolutely bonkers. And 
Um, things aren't staying on the market for any length of time whatsoever. Um, I mean, it's, I don't know if it has a lot to do with people moving out of big cities, coming to smaller rural areas, what really is the driving force behind it? But, um, besides the lack of inventory, but they're, they're, it's just crazy. I mean, it's, it's in 20 years of doing real estate, it's probably one of the craziest markets I've ever seen. And one of those combinations of a lot of things for one of the big things is so many people sending their, their employees home and saying, okay, you can work from home. And then they realize once that's all done, like, oh, you can still do your job from home. Yeah. So why are we paying for an office space? Why are we paying you for to be in-house when you're doing the same thing? And I think that's a part of it. But then there's so many other political pieces to that that yeah, we can't. I would agree with you. And how, people upgrading their homes into, you know, wanting maybe an office space at their home that they did not have before could be a part of it, like you're saying. I think one of the big things we're seeing here in South Dakota is that you've got people in New York and California who their kids haven't been in school since March. And these moms are having to stay at home and they are just fed up. They, they, they're losing their jobs. They are uh, not able to send their kid back to school. So now they are looking for free states and... Yeah, you probably maybe need maybe need a little more space. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a place to to go and actually be able to live your life a little bit, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing here with with some of the people, the influx of Californians and New Yorkers coming to South Dakota is kind of crazy. And, and I know Colorado saw saw California and Texans flying there in the past, and Idaho say, sees that as well. So it's just kind of yeah, a, I, I, th- I think those big cities are, well, I know by the numbers we get reports from real estate, but I, I heard something like 1.2 million people have left the New York area in the last year. And I mean, that's just insane numbers. Those people are going somewhere. I would have um, left those kind of places as soon as I got a driver's license. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I would have never been involved in them. But. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of wrap things around and give you a little plug. And so you're a, a licensed real estate agent in Colorado and soon to be in Texas. But uh, as Colorado being such a big destination state for hunting, I, I figure yep. um, if somebody's looking for something, you kind of specialize yep. in rural properties and hunting properties and those sorts of things. So talk about uh, what you could help people with. What, yeah. Help them. Yeah. With. I mean, I, uh, I enjoy selling ranches, properties, cabin properties, all that stuff. Cause I'm, I'm an avid outdoorsman, love hunting, being in the outdoors. So getting just to go see those places is, is exciting to me, let alone helping people buy them and, and, and get a, you know, give them ideas on what they could do with it and all of those things. I mean, that just, that's a, it's a pretty exciting part of the real estate side of it that, um, you know, I mean, I, I obviously sell regular houses as well, but there's a difference when you're selling a three bedroom, two bath home on a neighborhood to a thousand acre property with a cabin on it, that the, the endless potentials and excitement level that kind of comes along with it. Yeah. Um, the, I, I always get calls from you after you go visit some of those and you're oohing and on over the number of elk or the deer, or the quality of what are just 
seeing like that's elk territory. There's elk there. There's deer there. There's big deer there. So, yeah, I mean, we're primarily, you know, public land hunters, but you know, you always look over that, that, you know, what, what is it? What's the old saying? The grass is always greener on the other side. You're always wondering what it's like inside those public lands and when you get to go or private lands. So when you get to go see them, it's kind of exciting. (laughs) Well, we've, we've always said if somebody invited us, we're not going to turn it down. No, absolutely not. Why would we? <laughs> I know. I mean, those three fifty bulls are one in a thousand yeah. or more on public land. Yeah. So, uh, one in five thousand, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so, who knows? Um, but anyway, so so uh, if somebody was interested in looking for a piece of Colorado property, how would they get a hold of you? Oh, a couple different ways. They can email me. My email is simple. It's it's my name, tjgusini at gmail.com. Um, Rocky Mountain Realtors is my company. It's been around since 1999. Um, you can always look up Rocky Mountain Realtors. Um, get a hold of me that way uh, or my phone number, 970-618-8781. Yeah. It's, that's, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yep. And I, uh, you, are my real, you and your dad were my realtor for my property and yep. house and that was a really good experience and then kind of guided me through my recent purchase which in the last week i bought a home and i can stop recording awesome. my podcasts in my truck in the cold <laughs> <laughs> which i had been doing and then now i kicked my family out of our uh out of our bedroom so i can record and they're all out in the living room <laughs> in our have little... your own recording studio yeah. set up I know we were looking at desks today because it's a nice long room and it's got a big walk-in closet next to it. So it'll have the gun safe and mount the bear rug um, and a uh, all my hunting gear in the closet. It is strictly my area. No girls allowed. No. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but it's a um, pretty pretty nice little spot in the basement all the way away from everything so i'm kind of excited about having that space to to record and run my run my business and do my stuff down to have all my hunting gear and and as long as there's a futon in there for me when i show up to go hunting oh yeah there's plenty there's plenty of room there's six beds oh that's right yeah six bed three bath plenty of room and there's a whole nother uh walk in to the basement there so when I'm getting up at stupid hours and leaving at stupid hours, I don't have to bother anybody. I can be down in there leaving, gab, grabbing gear and not waking my, my family up. So that'll be nice. That will be nice. That will be nice. I can't wait to come see it. Yeah. I, I did get to see it when you sent me the info, but looking at it online versus looking at it in person is completely different. Not going to lie, from the outside, it looks kind of like a shack. <laughs> i think it looks like a great house i, I honestly it like small. it and i paid a buttload of money for it because well, like we said the real estate market's really high and well it, it that's is you it know is. i remember your first house you kind of were thinking you were spending a lot of money on it look how that turned out for you yep no kidding so, so. i i got you on here uh because i didn't want to just talk about this about by myself, but you're also a lifelong hunter and Colorado native. And so you've, you've seen a lot of changes ensue as you've grown up and, and seen oh, yeah. many things in Colorado. And, and most of our listeners are from Colorado. We have a lot of listeners in, uh, Arizona, Texas, and then actually, mm, I forgot it was Virginia or North Carolina. 
one of those. I'm sorry. Right in there. That was like our actually they were, hmm. went it went ahead of Arizona recently. Um, really? Yeah, I forgot to look. I looked like a week or two ago on that, and I saw we had lots of listeners out that way. So, and then we have listeners all over the country, which is really neat. But right. Um, so for the Arizona listeners, they may rip on me for maybe not having details a hundred percent, but there's a lot of things and talks going on about trail camera bans. And as in most of these states right now are in their legislative sessions. So a lot of the new hunting laws and things are kind of being worked out and talked about. And Arizona, uh, is in the works of a person shall not use a trail camera or the images from a trail camera for the purpose of taking or aiding in the take of wildlife or locating wildlife for the purpose of taking or aiding in the take of wildlife. So by the way this reads is that you can take pictures all you want, but as soon as you go and hunt that animal, that is now illegal. Or if your intention is to be look using those cameras to try and find wildlife to hunt them, you can't do that. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. It's a slippery slope. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I was quite shocked that Arizona was one of those states that's doing it. it, it as a state that is a, a really big destination state for a lot of people and has a lot of really good things going on. I've heard a lot of good thing about their game fish, game and fish department. Their agency is uh, has got their poop in a group. They're a pretty solid group. Um but I don't know what is happening I don't here. Understand the motivation behind what they're doing. I guess possibly eventually turning it into a money-making aspect for them. They're going to make people get permits to use them, so they want to ban it first and then turn it into permits. Maybe I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. So and then I got an idea, but and then Utah has HB 295. The summary of that one is it prohibits the use of trail cameras at certain times and within certain exceptions. So um, within this, it is unlawful for a person to place, maintain, or use a trail camera or similar device at any time during the beginning of August 1st to December 31st. So that's quite a ways. That prevents you from doing any pattering whatsoever uh of elk <laughs> deer anything because august after if you had to pull it in august 1st and i don't know when the hunting seasons for archery elk are in in utah but there probably aren't till end of august yeah, september and yeah. so august 1st things are going to change and you gotta you can go back out there december 31st but during those seasons, now you can't have trail cameras out there. Yeah, it's not makes it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, typically, 
and I, and I could be wrong here, but I would think that the majority of the people that are using trail cameras are people that are trying to find mature animals, you know, proper culling of the herds in a sense, proper conservation of the animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're obviously trying to locate animals and, and stuff, but I mean, you and I've used trail cameras many, many times. And what do we get excited about seeing on there is the big mature animals. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not out there just trying to locate everything and figure out what, what all animals are doing and, and what they're, what they're after. We're trying to find animals that we want to go chase. Yeah. I just want to know <laughs> if mean, there's I, elk there. <laughs> yeah. So, know I mean, if there's, elk, the, there's bears or whatever. The majority of the people are using them in a, what I would think is, is right in line with what any of these, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? DNRs or any of these, uh, game and fish companies are, are, are wanting is the, the, the culling and, um, harvest of a mature animal. They want, they're they, used for. They want people to be successful within well, limits. Yeah. They, they want, they don't want every, every single person to be <laughs> successful because then it, that is, they kind of go off of success rates in their, numbers because they know that say for archery elk 10 percent people fill um they use that so they know they need to give more so that they can meet their quotas right so yes they want people to be successful and i know there is no uh license required like no fees whatsoever i was thinking about this for work because i'm going to put a trail camera webinar together for work and I was thinking, well, shoot, am I driving any license sales? Am I driving anything? All I'm doing is maybe getting people excited for hunting season. So there's that, but there is no direct connection. I think there's an indirect connection to, uh, people getting excited about trail cameras and moving on to hunting. So anyway, it's, there's a whole lot more in it within these, of what it is and and what's what's being banned i think one of the big thing is is the advancement in technology with cell cameras uh that has been listed here and so just a quick rundown on the states that have some level of trail camera uh restrictions and there's probably more where it's it's sort of hit things because as soon as drones came out personal drones came out that hit every agency across the nation was right. like, okay, got a ban, got a ban, got a ban. There's probably maybe well, one or I mean, two and that, here and there. That makes sense, sure, because it's very easy to take something like that and use it in a, a non-ethical way very quickly. Right. And so, Colorado, so, no cell cameras during the season. Nevada, illegal during season, like trail cameras, illegal right. during the season. Alaska, no cell cameras. Montana you have to physically check your pictures. So basically no cell cameras, Kansas, no cell cameras, New Hampshire, no cell cameras. So there's been some of that. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting here in South Dakota. We do whatever the heck we want. <laughs> and it's, there's a, you just put up cell camera, you leave it up there the whole time. doesn't matter. That's how Texas is. Yeah. Yeah. And, but why now? I think that, it has to do with the large number of folks that are entering the hunting scene that did not grow up hunting. And there's a big push of millennial hunters entering 
that along with that you have various viewpoints and seeing what and having different opinions of what fair chase is and so you i there's a group out there remember when you sent me that job description from mountain pursuit to be the uh director or something like that you sent that back to me Uh and yeah whatever it was and so i looked into the company and they had a 450 pledge or 450 or 5400 pledge i don't know what it was but they had within their little bylaws that you need to if you're going to be a part of this you need to pledge that you do not ever take a shot with your bow past 50 yards you really yeah and then they also and then if it's a rifle you take a pledge that you do not take a shot after further than 400 yards I don't, I've never heard of any. where they hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I think they were based out of one of the major Western states. I'm going to say Montana, Wyoming, somewhere in there. Uh, But they, uh, they put a number to it. And I've never heard of an organization putting a number to it. Because if you have a $2,000 custom rifle, a 600 yard shot with a bipod is not that hard. But if you got a three hundred and fifty dollar rifle with a three by nine and a <clears throat> factory ammo, a three hundred yard shot's a, a good poke for someone who only shoots a couple of times a year. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's well, on a deer that came a long ways in, in in the last twenty years in that area. I mean it's when I started hunting back in the day, <laughs> you didn't shoot over 300 yards just because the technology wasn't there to allow it. Yeah. It's it's much different now. And it's people that tend to, I'm not going to say everybody, but people that tend to, to do some of that type of shooting are, are rather skilled at it. I mean, am I taking seven, 800 yard shots? No, because I don't really practice that. And that's not really something i do but there are people that do it all the time and they're good at it and they're good at it <laughs> so am I, who am i to tell them don't ever do that yeah i mean so i didn't apply <laughs> for the job yeah. and then they also had a, a stance on some some coyote hunting things ethical coyote hunting stuff which that's must be have some beef with something that's done somewhere in the country uh i don't know but it, it just you can see some of those more, well, I don't like this, so we need to restrict it. Um, yeah. And one last thing with the effective range is that everybody's effective range is totally different. So Absolutely. You and I were at a archery shoot this year, shooting 110 yards and 100 or 90 yards and 100 yards or whatever else, and we're taking those shots. It was fun, whatever, um, making some great shots even at 60, 80 yards, but here I am at 50 yards this fall shooting at a deer and I missed <laughs> just right. like I could stick those 80 yarders all day long and then come to a real animal and it's totally different. So the effective range it on is, that. But I, also, I also watched you shoot an elk this year at 60, what was that? 66 yards and couldn't have hit it in a better spot. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's, it, that was a, far better setup <laughs> far better setup but it was uh um 
I knew I could hit that. I absolutely knew well, I could hit that. I would never pass that shot up on so a bull standing. If, if, at, if at that moment I would have whispered over your ear when we had that out coming in, hey, remember that pledge. Don't shoot him. Let him come in a little further. <laughs> what would you have done? Thrown an elbow and right my shot? <laughs> yeah. And the <laughs> fact that our decoys were to our right, he was not coming closer. He was walking broadside. <laughs> right where he was going, right to in line to where those decoys were, and he would have walked right up to them, sniffed them, realized they weren't real, smelt us on them, and then bolted. Make God. Yeah. So, anyway, there's a lot of effective range things out there, especially with archery that I've really enjoyed listening to because it has to do with your performance and what you're able to do out to a certain distance. And right. So back to kind of then my whole point in this is that these these different – uh, folks coming into the hunting industry, which is not bad because you look at all the, the numbers of of hunting sales and the, our fishing sales were through the roof in South Dakota over the, the summer. And, and that's a, there's a lot more people getting back into it, which is great for the sport because uh, I saw an article from the Washington Post saying that this is a dying sport and blah, blah, blah. But if they included this year's data, it's not by any means. Mm. There is a big hunk of the baby boomers that do need to be replaced as they age out. Uh, but as these, these new people come in that are just looking for meat, they're looking for uh, their connection connection to the outdoors and whatever it is, I don't know. But there, there's different people coming in, and I think this was the next thing gaining attention that was the low-hanging fruit. If they knew what a Garmin Zero was, uh, that you know that bow sight that all you do right. is look at a spot, and then it says 32 yards. Yeah. Uh, if they knew what that was, they would ban that. And right. I think that trail cameras are just now what is getting get the attention and gaining attention because of the the cell camera and it, it yeah, I, it's possible i mean i guess my thoughts on it are is i agree with you with the with the new new wave of hunters maybe that are coming in new thought process to, to different things but those aren't the people making these rules right now you know what i mean uh, it's it's coming from the government officials it's coming from from that so uh, and, and and the uh, the people on um, we're small enough they're not going to hear it, but the the, the <laughs> CPW Commission Board. I watched some of their online uh, commission meetings. I guarantee you, four out of those eight or whatever have not touched a rifle. I know it. I know it. You can you just. The, the way you talk, you can talk, as a hunter, you can talk to people and know who's a hunter, who's not. And there's a lot of people getting involved in commission meetings that don't. And the Arizona was a five to zero pass. Like they passed it just straight up. Nobody. Well, I mean, I, I wish they would kind of give some reasoning as to what are their, what's their thought process of doing it? What's the purpose of it? Yeah. And that's out there, I'm sure. Yeah. And, probably my bad for not diving into or i honestly probably what would need to do is have somebody that listened to the commission meeting reach out and explain that kind of what the what the argument was because that's probably what is the main source 
of that info is the commission meetings and what they what they said right. or what what somebody said because somebody had to for those things to pass like that somebody That's had right. to bring Five it to in. zero there's a pretty convincing argument what is it yeah somebody <laughs> had to bring it in somebody brought it in and I, i've been to those commission meetings and, and and they sit there and kind of like oh yeah all right well, there was only one way for it, and and I know across the U.S. it's the issue of having only antis at these meetings having the lo- loudest voice. Because right. unless there's a big deal coming around, you don't get the typical hunters at those meetings, and then these little things are coming in, and coming in, and they're able to make change. And now with all these commission meetings happening over Zoom. California antis and, and big city antis, whatever, uh, are, and I don't want to just single out California because California does have a large popular population of, of wonderful hunters. Uh, we've met them on the, on the trail <laughs> and, uh, yeah. um, great people, but population wise, that's where a lot of the, a lot of those anti groups are coming from where they're able to attend these meetings and speak up towards things that they don't agree with and i i really have been enjoying listening and watching uh clay newcomb he wrote for bear hunting magazine and he has a pretty popular phrase called guard the gate meaning don't let a single thing fall through even if that's as small as cell or trail cameras i know as new new technology comes out you got to think okay is that okay so the lighted knocks and the uh, lighted sites in Colorado forever was like, oh, we can't open that door and allow technology on a bow. Because as soon as you let technology on a bow go, now you've got, now you can do anything. Now you can hit, put on the broadheads with tracers in them, and, and uh, the you'll be able to follow an arrow with a beacon of some sort and and whatever else to recover your animal even easier. So it's just this big floodgate that they thought was going to open and. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Uh, lighted knocks and lighted sights were it just happened and no no big deal <laughs> so it wasn't even well i mean with any with anything that changes you, there's going to be some bad that goes with it but the, to not allow anything because they're worried of that i mean just like what you were just talking about if if there's an easier process to help people recover animals that doesn't go against I mean, how does that hurt the animal? How, how is, you know what I mean? There, there are certain things out there. These lighted knocks for years allow for, I mean, when you're in the moment and you shoot an arrow at an animal, I would say the majority of the people have no idea, don't see their arrow exactly where it hits. They think they see it. They th- their mind tells them that they see it, but do they really know anything that could help that out is not, how does that, how's that a bad thing? Not everybody has you over my shoulder being able to watch that arrow just go in and disappear in that animal. I would so wish that we could have had that on video or something. 
But through the binoculars that I'm looking at, I mean, at 60 yards, I'm picking out hairs on this elk. And I'm watching the arrow flex in the air as it goes right through my vision. Whoop, oh my right gosh. into the elk. Oh, my gosh. I think that that helps. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. A lighted knock helps. Yeah. If, if there was some way to track an animal after you hit it, it would help. It's not hurting anything. So, I mean. And the big thing is to not lose on 30 bucks of an arrow after you stick it in the ground, well, too. Yeah. We've, we've, we've been out there a few times between you and I wounding animals and, and trying to find the animals, man, there were anything we could have given at that point to, to help us. We'd have taken, Yeah, it benefits the animal, it benefits the hunter. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it's a, it's a good thing. So, I mean, there are things that can go wrong, you know, just like you were talking with the drones. Yeah. People will find a way to, to, to use those unethically. And I agree that when there's that much leeway in something, you really have to kind of watch it because people will, they will definitely find a way to do it unethically. Well, you can't use a lighted knock unethically. There's nothing unethical about it. Right. Well, that's a good segue into the one argument I did find uh, in just a little bit of research. So uh, it had to do with people putting a massive number of cameras out. And there was a, Hoyt bow hunting podcast. I really enjoy the podcast. It's great, but there was a outfitter on there and he places like three or 400 cameras out just an insane number of trail cameras because it's his business and he's able to, yeah. And he's able to sell basically a certain elk or he's able to find on public land, these 400 inch bulls which and he's consistently putting eight people on 400 inch bulls on public land and that has to do with him it was really kind of neat because he was talking he's an about outfitter, obviously yeah yeah i think in montana or something like that but but he was saying how he would put t- trail cameras around something around a water hole and uh to the next water hole and on trails and all over the place and he would be able to map out the distance that this elk traveled and he would find them and find their patterns and know that this, this bull would be, he was on about a 10 day cycle or whatever it is coming back to this water hole. So he'd know if he saw that bull, we've got, we, or when they saw it, you can get them on that, that, that hunter on the water hole. And it wasn't a guarantee. It's still, you're still hunting a incredibly intelligent animal. Uh, an old, old mature animal. So it wasn't a guarantee, but he had a few stories of being able to pattern these massive bulls that have been living through hunting season after hunting season. And the argument is that the wildlife, that wildlife is public domain and it's a resource available to all. Well, so are stone sheep, but you know, you got to pay to hunt a stone sheep. Right. And, uh, or any sheep. (laughs) <laughs> for that matter, yeah, matter. Uh, stone sheep is kind of that one of the north american that's the most that's pretty much out of reach for almost everybody desert and bighorns as well for you're just not going to do it unless you have a lot of money or you're incredibly lucky so it, it's just those are a public domain and a resource available it's just very limited quantity. So I guess what they're trying to do, in, just playing devil's advocate here a little bit, is try to make sure that people have access to it a little bit. I don't know. Um, to put 400 well, ca- trail cameras out, 
that's a lot of work. That's, <laughs> that's a, a lot of time. That's a lot of and time. And that's a lot of effort. Um, anytime you put that kind of time and effort into something, you're probably going to get rewarded. So no kidding. There is that. Um, I saw that. But it's as well as why, why, why wouldn't they just say, okay, if that's their argument, if that's what you're thinking the argument may be, then why don't they just limit the number of cameras? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did see, uh, speaking of putting in a lot of effort for something, I saw a guy, I can't remember which Western state, let's just say Colorado, uh, but this guy had uh, a governor's tag, and he, you know governor's tags, a lot of them guys that, that pay for that. They pay for that big tag, not the one that you just win, uh, but the one they pay for. And right. they get, they were out looking for this one buck, and they couldn't get it, and this one public land hunter that worked really hard is the only one that ended up with this 220 30 inch muley of some sort that guy put in the work there's no nothing keeping you and i from putting in the work of doing trail cameras i almost kind of think of trail (laughs) things there's uh, two things that keep you and i from putting in 400 cameras a year our wives and my wife <laughs> and, uh that's true <laughs> i think she would find my bin my uh uh room <laughs> yeah <laughs> not even a bin of cameras but my room of cameras and yeah. uh my bill my receipt for uh lithium batteries for 400 cameras <laughs> oh good lord <laughs> yeah no kidding uh so anyway, there's there's a – I think that's the approach is, is like you were saying, that the way of abusing it and maybe that's – that's probably like a handful of guys in the country or in, or in each state, if that. So I would say if that. If, if, if that. there is a way to abuse cameras and if that's considered abuse, what that guy's doing, there are very few people doing that oh, to yeah. that level. Yeah, because we just can't. And so, yeah. last last thing I want to kind of wrap up on is why you and I do it, use trail cameras. And one thing I'm really excited about is that it's that season after, so we hit shed hunting season coming up here pretty quick. In South Dakota, it's already rolling. People are picking up antlers here. We don't have any restrictions on picking them up. Uh, not too many. That's just because you guys haven't figured out the charge for it yet, like Colorado. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, they're not charging, but they're just don't want they're, people. Yeah, they're going to charge for it. You're going to have to have a license to do it. That that could be coming. Uh, <laughs> Anything else? Yeah, and so the they're picking up stuff. And so this, I'm going to get out here pretty soon. We want the snow to melt a little bit. So the, the grass dry gets sucked down. So those tines are just sticking up and then they all haven't dropped yet in anyway. So I'm not going to look for those, but then summertime. Yeah. I like to fish a little bit, but I'm not crazy about fishing. So that's your time to, oh, I'm going to start thinking about fall again. There's a whole nother season. I almost treat that, that, uh, that camera, season as a whole nother thing to do uh it seems like we go and setting those out in july august we're checking them <laughs> and then okay now it's hunting season um and then we kind of actually you and i've always kind of forgot about our cameras after that we're always just busy hunting uh All right i know a lot of whitetail hunters do that totally different 
and they're using those trail cameras throughout the season uh, to really kind of pattern and figuring out how they move and whatever else. But honestly, in the mountains, we had no time for that. We If we were out out in the woods, we needed to be hunting. We couldn't be focusing on, on the cameras. So right. it's just our initial preseason use of, of figuring out what's what's in the area. And so well, I think it has to lead with that. It has to lead with as an avid hunter, you're I mean, I know you and I do the same. I think about hunting pretty much year round. There's certain times a year I'm more excited about hunting, but the use of a trail camera and and being able to put those out there our, our hunting seasons are short and they're, they're you, you, you dream for them, hope for them and, and, and long for them all year round for a, a relatively short time out in the field. If you think about it. Mm-hmm. So when you're putting the trail cameras out there and, and getting pictures and, and getting all that stuff, it, it prolongs your hunting experience, you know, and I think there's a lot of portion of the population that, are looking at it that way as well. It's a prolonging of the hunting experience to make it exciting, seeing what's out there. You know, just like you and I've done in the past, we catch a big bull on camera and we're like, Oh my God. And it just, now you're amped up, you're excited. You still might have a month before you get to go out there and chase anything, but you're getting excited about it and you're thinking about it nonstop yeah. and it's prolonging that experience. Yeah. Definitely extending the season out. That's that. Yeah. I totally would agree with that, for sure. And I mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's just you know it, when you have a passion of something, and there's all these other little tricks and trades that you can help help the excitement level or keep that passion going. That's why wouldn't you use that? Yeah, and you know, on the our last couple of seasons where we've been using our long trail line not 400 cameras but our i think well, 380 yeah yeah you know yeah <laughs> of all uh cutty back and reconics you know no big yeah, deal. Exactly. uh no our our 12 9 to 12 <laughs> yeah, and and some of those you got to throw out about four or five of them because they're such pieces of crap or they're using big c batteries d batteries or something like that, or they're not reliable. You've, you've given me a hard enough time about my cameras over the last <laughs> year. Do it on the podcast. <laughs> we, I, I've I've thrown one or two away. <laughs> I know. Believe me, I know. I know. And I even at my last job, I got those uh, Cuddy Back Cuddy Link ones. That even those, I think I got four of them, which are like 600 bucks total for all four. See, all you got to do is check the one and it, it all connect. Big D batteries, they suck. I hated them. <laughs> I am, I, anything with D batteries is garbage to me, I think. And, and it, it needs oh, to have. You're packing an extra pound of batteries in the, into the ones with you. That too, yeah. The lithium batteries are lightweight, one. And they last forever too. Right. Anything with lithium batteries is awesome. And even on those cell cameras, if you if you do have something, the battery pack, the solar packs that allow you to extend that a little further, uh, is great. The only problem is cow elk destroyed mine. Uh, cow <laughs> elk, and, and they say bears will mess with your cameras. Cow elk have jacked up more cameras than mine than <laughs> anything else. The cow grabbed because they could see the herd of cows coming pictures of them 
and then just face and lips and whatever else and hair. The thing ripped <laughs> off the antenna of my cell camera. I still don't haven't fixed it. I don't think it's fixable. And I never did get any pictures from that because I had called you right where I was at. I was like, I got cell service. I'm going to set the cell camera right here. I was four miles in for it. And we never saw a single, never saw a single picture. Cow eating it. It still took pictures. I mean, I got a lion, some bears and a few elk on it, but it, it, I wanted to know from my, have them send to my phone. Uh, so that got ruined. And then on that whole nine camera line, whatever it was, another cow had spun the one around a tree. Another one had knocked it down. The thing opened up, chewed on the lithium batteries. There was batteries all chewed up and a couple missing. So just nice little lithium snacks. Yeah. yeah. So the, and that's with that one of them Cabell's cameras. So you have to put this Cabell's camera has a really easy open on it. So my mistake, I will put a zip tie around that or a paddle lock on it. So it actually shut next time. But the, uh, one thing I've found too, is that, I mean, I bought one of those cheapo $20 Tasco ones from Walmart. It's like, I at least just throw in another one in my line. It's Okay. But definitely, I'd say that eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars cameras are right in the money. I would never spend over a hundred bucks for a camera. I don't. You do get a lot for them, but I think some of them hundred dollar ones are perfect. Or your sixteen dollar deal from Runnings or whatever you got. Thirteen ninety nine. Darn right, mismarked camera. Uh, yep. uh, yeah, that was a steal. That so. was perfect. And the next, and probably my last piece of advice on these trail cameras is to test them test every single one test your sd cards sd cards go bad uh don't rely on crappy cheap card readers those suck and don't always work the little things you just plug into your phone i've never had one of those work for more than one time or two times uh and then test your camera set up in your house and uh funny story about that i actually in college i set up my camera in our house a bunch of guys were renting and uh dude i did get a picture of my buddy walking (laughs) walking up the stairs to his room butt naked so (laughs) i don't know what he was watch where you put your camera (laughs) i don't know what he was doing (laughs) but i guess he got thirsty two o'clock in the morning had to go to the kitchen so but anyway that's funny. Oh, yeah. I think people, more people need need friends like you because I never touched a single camera last year. <laughs> I didn't have to hike in. I didn't have to do nothing. You did it all. Yeah. I was like, I, this, this is the best. All I had to do was hand you a bag of cameras. I didn't even check to see if they were any good. Well, the worst part about that last year is I did the 12-mile hike with not being like in, I was in decent shape. I was in good shape. But I did that, and the next day we did the mountain mile, the Kafaru mountain mile. I ran that race at uh, yeah. Total Archery Challenge, and my legs were dead. Yeah, I dead. don't know what you were saying. I still got third. I was, I was tired for you. I think I still have cramps for you. <laughs> I got third, but that uh, kid that got first was like some cross-country runner or whatever with a task. Uh, Jan Sport. We probably backpack. didn't do a twelve month hike the day before setting trail cameras up. No, he uh he, he just showed up to run the race and then he left afterwards. We watched it. He got in his car and just left. 
It's like, did you just come here win this race? We're all a bunch of hunters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, for sure. Yeah. Guarantee you. (laughs) So. Colorado. Yeah. They're just making some friends on on my podcast here, so. Which which is great. I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) You left me on a tired night, Clint, because there's a reason that you didn't start me out on this podcast back in (laughs) You held me out till episode sixty nine, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> yep. Um, I uh, no, no. It's just a matter we just never, never got to it, and <laughs> and I needed someone to talk to tonight for my podcast. <laughs> but really, yeah, I wanted to just kind of chat out, bring something to people's attention, what's coming around, and the moral of the story is is to stay in tune with what's going on with your state. And make sure you're comfortable with writing into your legislators or going to the, the commission meetings. I think that's super important. And I, the last commission meeting I was at in person uh, was at, during that Bobcat ban in Colorado that was happening. And we showed up, and all those people trying to ban that were way outnumbered, way outnumbered. And it, it was heard, and they voted in the, hunters, in the sportsmen's favor. So... Uh, as these little things come up, uh, like Clay Newcomb says, guard the gate. Land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.